If you have your Bibles, grab them and turn with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We're going to jump in there in just a moment. Uh, This morning we're going to continue our series that we started last week in uh, the doctrines of the church. If you were here last week, we introduced this idea that for the next 10 weeks we're going to be talking about what we believe are the essentials of our faith, doctrines of our church, the essentials of our faith. Last week we started with scripture and this morning we're going to dive into the doctrine of God. We have uh, printed some belief statements there on the back, back there in the, on the tables. They're also on our website. Um, our elders worked on these uh, earlier in the winter and uh, we decided that now is the right time for us to share these with you. The doctrine of God is a big, big doctrine. And uh, it's so big that I decided to invite a friend to come and speak to you about the doctrine of God. Uh, I'm really excited this morning that my friend Ivan Wilde is here. Many of you guys know Ivan. He's been around our church a bunch. Um, He's going to come and lead us in just a moment and um, work through this doctrine. But I want us to read it together first. So uh, the doctrine says this. What we believe about God is this. We believe that there is one eternal God who is infinitely holy, coexisting equally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a being of glorious magnificence, incomparable power, infinite goodness, and unfailing love. Yes? Yeah? How about if we all read it together, just so that you can hear it a little bit again uh, one more time? Let's do it. We believe that there is one eternal God who is infinitely holy, coexisting equally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a being of glorious magnificence, incomparable power, infinite goodness, and unfailing love. Well, the beginning of the Bible talks about uh, God. It goes all the way through 66 books. We get to the end of the Bible, and it talks about that, that uh, who God is. And so we're just going to be here for the next four hours, and we'll work from the beginning. Just kidding. We'll work from the beginning to the end. No, I'm just kidding. Would you guys welcome Ivan Wilde? He's going to come and lead us this morning. Ivan, come on. Take all my stuff. Thank you. So we'll go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. We've got a few, got a few minutes to go, right? In the beginning, God. God created. It is God. And that's what this doctrine is, is the revealing of who God is. And as Craig mentioned that there are 66 books in the Bible and every page is revealing an element or an attribute of God. But it's not just about that. It's also a continual story of revealing who God is and that there is this perpetual problem called sin and what God intends to do about it and how God deals with it and not just deals with it, but how it impacts us so that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we too can have a personal relationship with a holy and all-powerful God. And so that is from Genesis to Revelation. But if there's one chapter that I think that captures the attributes of God in just one chapter, it probably has to be Psalm 139. For in Psalms 139, it talks about that God is all-knowing, his omniscience, that God is everywhere, he's all-present, that God is all-powerful, his omnipotence. And it 
speaks of these attributes of God. And, but here's the cool thing is this, is though it's these big theological ideas that the psalmist David puts it in such a great way that makes it a personal God and a personal relationship to this holy and all-powerful and all-knowing God. And that's what we find in Psalms 139. But in my mind, the way that I see that David is doing this, that he's giving praises to God, that he's all-powerful, that he's all-knowing, that he's always present, but it's kind of like this boasting in God, this idea that it is you, God, and the emphasis is on you, God, kind of like, behold, you, God. And I kind of resonate with the idea that, of boasting because I kind of like to boast uh, when I win. And I, I, and, and I was, uh, I, once in a while, I tune into uh, the podcast here at Sanctuary. Sanctuary, by the way, has really blessed me and my family over the years. We feel like we're a bit a part of you. We've been praying over Sanctuary uh, since the day that it kind of came into being about 12 years ago. Um, so we got to know a few of you. And so we do continue to pray for you. And once in a while, I will be honest, Craig, I'm sorry, not every week, but once in a while I tune into the podcast. And on June 4th, uh, just was one week after my son's wedding, uh, June 4th, he had a podcast. It was called Wrapping Up Thessalonians. And if you remember that series, he had uh, on June 4th, I'm saying that so you can go back and check, that he talks about that he has two friends. And these two friends, he talks about these two friends. And one of them is the most competitive person that he has ever met in his life. That would be me. I'm owning it. And in that story, he goes on to talk about how they play this game called Acquire, about coming around the table, playing this game since our high school days for back in the 1980s, been playing this game. And, uh, and but Craig talks about, well, you know, it's, it's really good. It's, it's a lot of fun, but it's really not about the game. It's about the relationships around the game. And that is true. But for me, it's about the game. It's about the game. And in this podcast, Craig goes on to say that, that Ivan was on a winning streak, which is true most of the time and almost all the time. And he was on a three-game winning streak. And then he goes to launch into this big explanation in his podcast here in Sanctuary on June 4th on how much that he just beat me up on this last game. That he stole all my money. He had the right piece at the right time. He loved to watch me squirm. He scored all the points. He got all my money. He got everything. And I had to leave very defeated. And he went even on to say that he needed to have like a t-shirt made to, uh, for the day. <laughs> that he wanted a banner. I, I'm going to mail him a certificate. And, and he would go on and, and on about how he, he beat me. And I'm, I'm a little bit competitive. So what I did was, is I actually brought the game with me and I brought out the scores. We've been keeping track of scores since the 1980s. And here, if you take a look and on these scores, on all these highlighted areas, or all the areas, not did I win, but I beat him double the score. And by my reckoning, the last time that he doubled the score, except for this last time, was from 2012 from 2012, 10 years ago. Good job, Craig. <laughs> and as I count through the list of the scores where I can boast in myself of winning, that I come to the conclusion that I carry about 36% of the wins and my friends Craig and Brian divide up the rest. So I like to boast, I'm not gonna lie. 
But I think that's what David is doing. He is boasting in the Lord. He's keeping track of the scorecard of God and his greatness and how powerful it is and how all-knowing it is. And everything about God is all this greatness. It's this you, God. And I want you to take a look at Psalms 139. As you go through there, 20 times he uses that personal pronoun, you. You, God. It's almost like, behold, you, God. Now, we don't often uh, use the word uh, behold that, that much. Uh, it's a word that we don't really use that much. Um, it's not like you drive down looking for your uh, favorite restaurant or your favorite fast food place for me. I go, behold, Chick-fil-A. Now, Craig, on the other hand, uh, no one really does that except for Craig. No, Craig loves a hamburger place called In-N-Out. If you've been to California, it is iconic hamburger place. And we also have them in Arizona. And once in a while, Craig comes and visits us. And no matter what time of day, it could be 10 o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock at night, he will literally say, look, there's In-N-Out. Let's go right now. Doesn't matter what it is. Behold, there's In-N-Out. Go, let's go. No, seriously. Let's, he makes his go because we always follow Craig. And he usually gets me in trouble. But is, this is what David is doing. He's saying, like, behold, you, God. He's pointing, like, like kind of like pointing to in and out. Hey, we got to get over there. It's you, God. You know me. You know every aspect of my life. And so he's really boasting in that. Now, I resonate with boasting. Like, Barrett, like, I don't know if you're in here, but, man, that, I want that guy on my team. He seems like to be a very competitive. I, I love that idea of what you're talking about that is this idea of boasting. And I don't know, again, if it's my competitive nature, but I really like to make sure that when I win something, especially if Craig and Brian have not won it, that I can really remember it and remember it well. And so we, as you know, if you've ever heard in any of his sermons, he often talks about camp and most of the stories are true. I'm here to tell the real story after the service, anything that you want, but but. But he would talk about camp, and my wife and I, um, we met at camp, and that's where we met each other, and we got married, and 20-odd years later, you know, we went back to the Salvation Army camp where they send kids at camp, and my wife and I got to oversee it for the summer. We were the camp uh, pastors, if you will, from the Salvation Army overseeing the camp. And the last summer that we were there, uh, it, we got the biggest fires of Arizona at the time, northern Arizona, and they, we really thought the camp was going to burn down. Actually, the fire was actually coming onto the camp. And we had to evacuate everyone, all the children, all the staff. And we got everybody off of camp. Uh, Jennifer and, and the kids left. And there was me and the camp manager ready to kind of go out. And the camp manager said, you know, I guess this is it. This is the last we'll ever see of this camp. And it really was, really was sad. And you could see the smoke coming. The, the ashes were falling on the camp. And I said, stop the van. And he goes, what? And I said, stop the van. And uh, he's, what are you doing? And I jumped out of the van, risking my own life, beating back the flames of the smoke, going to the dining room. Because in the dining room, there is this big old plaque. You go ahead and put the picture up. There's this big old plaque on the wall that has all the names listed from the 1970s of all the people who were the outstanding staff, outstanding staff member of the year. And there I am, 1988, 1990. I blew it up just to show you. And I figured if the camp is going to burn down, then I'm going to take this with me and forever have it to prove that in 1988 and 1990, I was the outstanding staff member of the year. And guess what? I couldn't find Craig's name on there. 
So it's the one thing that I have over him. And so I figured I am going to take this because I am competitive. And I wanted to make sure that people knew that, that my name was engraved in the plaque at camp. Forever people will know this. That's that competitive nature in me, boastfulness in me. But here's something even greater. That God is, is all-knowing and that he knows me. But look what it says in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16. It says this, Lord... It's the Lord speaking to us. He says, the Lord is saying, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands and on the walls are ever before me. God is saying, and if you look at the King James Version, it actually says, behold, behold, your name or you are engraved on the palm of his hands and on the walls that are ever before me. To think of that, that God knows me. He, I'm always in his mind. I'm always before him. And I don't really know how it is in heaven except for what I read in scripture. But we, we know that in heaven that God the Father is sitting on the, the, the throne of God in the very throne room. And, and around there are the seraphim and the angels come. And we only know there's a couple names of angels that we know by name. Gabriel. And, and Michael, and I don't know if they have to report for duty. I don't know how it works in the eternal heavens, but I can only imagine that when they have to go to the throne room before the Father and God is having them do something, he's calling them into the throne room. He's like, he's like, behold, Ivan, look on the wall, Craig, Jennifer, Mark, Barrett, look, behold, that's what God is speaking over us. And he's saying he's so excited because my name, your name, if you know the Lord, is written on the palm of his hands. Behold, you have been engraved on the palm of my hands and on the walls that are ever before me. Now, I, uh, you go into Craig's house if you've ever been there, but he's got a lot of pictures of family. Got beautiful family. Uh, Christy, I mean, Christy just elevates Craig. <laughs> When, when Craig started dating Christy, we were like, yes, somebody that can make Craig right. I'm sorry. We just love Christy. But you go into his house and pictures of his beautiful wife, Christy, his daughters, Adele, Audrey Grace, their beautiful granddaughter, Lennon, uh, Andrew. There's a couple of pictures of you on there. I think Mark got on there once. But there's a picture of me and Craig and Brian, and we're just kind of tucked in there. And I'm like, okay, at least there's one picture on the refrigerator. And I can say, you know what? My picture made it into Craig's house on the refrigerator. So that if you ever go to his house, you could always say, who is that? And he can tell you that is the most outstanding camp, camp staff member ever, <laughs> is what he'll tell you. But imagine when Michael or Gabriel goes to the very throne room of God. God says, behold, look, you, Ivan, is engraved on my palms. His picture is on my wall. That's how personal that David is trying to get us to understand that God is all-knowing. And he's all seeing, it says in verse 7, 8, it says this, I love this, in verse 7 and 8, it says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make the bed, my bed in the depths, you are there. You, God, 
Where can I go from you? Where can I escape from you? No matter how far I feel like I drift from God, God's presence is always there. We can never be so far away from God that God's love or his grace can't touch us. We can never outrun the grace of God. We can never outpace his mercy. We can never outuse his love because he is a big God. And that's what David is trying to get us to understand. But man, there are times, and I'm sure it's the same for you, that I could feel lonely in a crowded room. I could feel lonely. The position that I hold, I can really feel lonely. But here's the thing is, even Jesus felt the anguish of being lonely. Read Psalm 22. Talk about anguish. Talk about pain and suffering. In fact, it's a prophetic psalm that actually Jesus quotes on the cross where he says, why have you forsaken me? And you read that psalm and it talks about how his, 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 his mouth is dry and the dogs are surrounding him and they're getting ready to pierce his side and they're casting lots over his clothes and, and, and people are leaving him. Remember at the cross, people are leaving him and he's crying this psalm out. But here's the interesting thing in that psalm that if you really look at it closely, there's a verse in there that makes a reference to that, that God is, the Father is not far away and he'll quickly come to save me. And it also goes on to say that, that, that his face is never hidden from me. That, that, in other words, that God is always seeing you. He is always present. No matter where we go, no matter how far we think we can drift, God's grace and his mercy and his love can still touch you there. God's presence is always forever there. And man, that just really helps me to, to, to find hope and joy. Do we not need more hope and joy in this world? Man, do you got people that, are, that feel that are so drifted from the Lord? Maybe, maybe it's even you. I don't know. But let them know that God sees them. That God is everywhere present. That they can't drift so far away that the grace of God can't touch them and always uh, bring, them, bring them back. And I think we underestimate, though, of the power of what happens when we as followers of Christ or we as the body of Christ become those, those agents of grace, if you will, and carry the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. A lot of times people say, where are you, God? Where are you? I'm facing all this stuff. Well, where are you? Well, I believe that, that God, he, he's in the midst of his church. We are called the body of Christ. And as we minister to one another, as we love one another, as we touch one another, the grace of God is revealed in that because that's what he's called us to do. And, and so the church never underestimate, sanctuary never underestimate how you impact the people around you because of the work that, that you do. C.S. Lewis said this, and then I'm gonna show it a picture in a minute. C.S. Lewis says this, we may ignore, excuse me, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. In other words, that God's presence is everywhere. And many times God's presence is seen in his people through his church. Sanctuary has blessed my family, has blessed me, and you've sponsored, I don't know if you know this, but you sponsored my, my young girl, Eden, who had the opportunity to go to Ethiopia. And uh, these are the children that go to the Salvation Army in Ethiopia, or some of them. And they heard that we were coming to Sanctuary, so they wanted to send a picture. So they say a thank you to Sanctuary for the support that you give. Because some of you who contributed, some of you that prayed, that you're an answer to that prayer of where is God's presence? 
Where, where is the food coming from? How am I going to have money to go to school? How am I going to do all these things? Where is God in all of this? And then guess what? A gift shows up and it's the presence of God because of what you're doing, praying and giving and it touches people's life. And so the grace of God then, the love of God is spread even all the way in Ethiopia. But I thought you would enjoy seeing these wonderful faces who say thank you to Sanctuary. So thank you so much. But I just want us to kind of move on in this, this passage of Scripture. Take a look at, excuse me, at uh, verse 13. Because God is all-powerful, right? God is all-power, omnipotent, the power of God. And look what it says is that, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. I think that if, if every single one of us would quote this verse when we got up in the morning and we start to fix our hair or shave or whatever we do in the morning, we look into the mirror and, mirror and say, man, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That starts your day off right. I am fearfully and wonderfully. It doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter what other people say. But the word of God tells me, the word of God tells me that God is all powerful and that he made me that I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Praise God. Awesome. But here's what I even like even a little bit more. If you look at verse 13, it says, For you, again, the emphasis is on you, God, behold, you, God, created my inmost being and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Now, I don't really know how to knit. I don't think I've ever knit anything in my life. But my grandmother um, knits and she made a tea cozy for our family. I'm from a British home, born in England. My grandma, especially in that generation, they like to knit things and they would knit a tea cozy. It keeps the tea nice and hot. And so, and you would pass it on into your family. So we've had this thing for like over like almost like 50 years from what my grandmother knit. And I would watch my grandmother knit I didn't necessarily want to take it up or anything, but I would watch her knit. And she, the point is, is that she took her time. She intricately wove it together to get the right pattern, the right size, just the right way to present as a gift to the family. And she took her time in that. And so when I read this verse, it says that you, you knit me together. You, God, you, God, you took your time and knit me together with my personality traits and everything that I have, my giftedness, my skills, and who I am as a person. You, you intricately wove it together. That's the kind of God that we're talking about. That's what David is trying to re reveal to us. This personal God that knows everything about us is always present, and he made me. Oh, wow. He knit me together in my mother's womb. Man, I love it. It's so powerful. And then it goes on to verse 17. It says this, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. God is always thinking of you. He's always thinking of me. He said, David is saying, look, God thinks of you so much, it outnumbers the sand on the seashore. In other words, it outnumbers all the sand. Now, we don't have a beach in California, excuse me, in California you do. In Arizona, we don't have a beach, but we have the desert. We got a lot of sand. We got a lot of sand. And I went on Google, and because uh, you could totally trust Google, right? 
and they give you all kinds of numbers that people have done research on how many sands there are on the, sand, on the beaches across the world. And, and I believe actually Georgia Tech was one of the ones that did this study. And I could just see, I could just see that, you know, somebody's working on their doctor's degree or master's degree, paying a lot of money to go to school. And they're in some lab there with a, with a bunch of sand. And they're like, you know, one, two, you know, 300, eight. John, how much you got? 232. 40, right, and they're discounting the sand, and, and they, but they come up with this incredible number. It's like the number 200 with like 20, 30 zeros behind it. I don't know, was that a quintillion, 200 billion, quintillion? I, I don't know. But the word of God is saying, Ivan, God is thinking of you. You are ever before him, never out of his sight, never out of his mind. But you, God, behold, you, God, are thinking. We know what it says in Zephaniah 3.17, a famous verse. It says, the Lord God is like a mighty warrior who saves us. And he takes great delight in us and he rejoices over us with singing. Wait a sec. We come together and we give praise and worship to God. And this all-powerful, all-holy, all-loving God, he rejoices over me with singing. You, You can't get more personal than that. And here's the great thing, is that God is is singing over us. He's, He's rejoicing over us. And David, the psalmist, is trying to get this this concept of this all-powerful God into this relationship that he has with us or has with him. And then I just look at verse 19. It just kind of changes. It just changes. Like, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. You're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. And just, if only you would just slay the wicked. Like, you're on the freeway, right? You get cut off and you're thinking, you're listening to praise and worship music. You're listening to Sonny who does an incredible job with the worship team. You're listening to that. You're praising God. Somebody cuts you off. You're like, just slay the wicked. It's in scripture, right? It's in scripture. And it's so easy to, to think of the evil out there, you know, to think of all the evil stuff out there, right? I, I, uh, where I work uh, with the Salvation Army, um, we, my office is on a place called Van Buren in Phoenix. And if you've ever gone through Phoenix, it's the part of Phoenix where it has all those a series of, of the, the, the term is, you know, no-tell motels, just kind of by the hour. A lot of stuff going on there. And I have to make a right-hand turn on 24th Street and Van Buren. And when I stop there, I, uh, I often pray because what I see, I hate. I hate seeing a young girl step into a car and it drives away. I, I hate seeing a mom with her children right there next to the gas station and she sticks out her hand and something's delivered in her hand and they go about their, their, their way. I hate it. We, we have a family shelter on our campus and, and many of them come from very abusive situations. Not all, but, but many do, living on the streets, on the run. Some have been exploited and, and they come to us and, and I, I visit with them, I talk with them and, and, and I love to hear their stories because they're real people and they have a story, but I hate to hear what happened to them. And sometimes I wanna say, God, just slay the wicked, the ones that abuse them, slay the wicked. Like, I'm gonna be honest with you, so true is that, that 
that those who abuse children, those who really do horrible and evil things and, 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 and exploit them, and we get them in our shelters in Las Vegas, and those that have been pushed on the streets. And, and I'm thinking, those who do that, the flames of hell are not hot enough for those people. Slay the wicked, God. Because I hate it. I hate when that stuff happens. And David is kind of expressing this thing. He says, look, don't I hate those who hate you? Abhor those who rebel against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Man, David is getting real. But then he becomes so vulnerable. Look what it says in verse 23. It says, now remember that he's already established that God is omniscient, that God is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. That there's no place that I can't go that out of the presence of God. In other words, that God sees me everywhere. And that God is all-powerful. So he's making those boasts, that declaration, that scorecard of God. And then in verse 23, he becomes so vulnerable. And I think this is where you and I can become vulnerable before God so that we can have a closer and intimate relationship with him. It says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Wait a sec. You know everything, but I'm saying to you, search. I'm giving you permission to search my heart and test me and know my anxious thoughts. And then this next verse, see if there is any offensive way in me. Man, look in every aspect of my life. We all, uh, let me say this. I have, a, um, a, 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 well, I have four children. I have one that's still at home. I have a teenage daughter who lives at home. And, and I ask her, to clean her room. Do you have any parents in here that have children? They're like, can you just go clean your room, please? And you ask them to clean the room, and maybe because they really want to love you and they go clean the room. This happens once in a great while in our home. And she goes, cleans the room, but I know that I really don't want to look under the bed. Right? I, I just know I'm going to find all kinds of stuff under the bed. Or how many of you, maybe it's just me, how many of you have those drawers in your house where you don't know where to do with the stuff and you just stick it in there, right? And then you're trying to find something and then you finally go through the drawer and like, oh, there it is from like three years ago, you lost it, right? It's in the drawer. Or a closet, you got that closet. People are coming over to your house for dinner. You wanna have a nice house, you want it all nice and neat. And you don't know what to do with all the stuff because your kids didn't put it away. And so you open up the closet and you just shove it all in the closet, right? You, some people are nodding their head like, that must go on at your home like it does at my home, right? And so you've come over to my house, like, yeah, come over, you know, be, welcome, come on in, sit down, put your feet up on the, on the coffee table, take your shoes off, help yourself, right? But don't go in the closet. Go in every part of the house except for my daughter's room under the bed or the closet. Why? Because you're going to find all kinds of stuff in there. But, but David is saying, search the closet, God. And if there's anything in there that I forgot, anything in there that is offensive to you, anything that's in there that is not where it should be, I forgot about it, I've buried it, because whatever the situation, the trauma, the experience, life, whatever happens, just, just reveal it. Because what he's saying here, look, see if there's anything offensive way in me, and then lead me to the way of everlasting. And that is the key point, is remove this stuff 
so that I can have this relationship with you being led by you. Because if there's a lot of clutter, there's a lot of stuff in my life, it's hard to follow when there's stuff going on. But, but if I open myself up to God and say, God, God, come into every part of my house, come into every part of my room and remove that stuff, reveal to me the things that shouldn't be there, then I can have this clear path before me and then he can lead me into the way of everlasting. And the way of everlasting is found through the work of Jesus Christ, the testimony that we saw in the baptism, that when we come to this knowledge of Jesus Christ and being reconciled unto this holy God, remember as I said earlier, that the story of God is about God, the problem that we're in because of sin, what God intends to do about it and how he wants to restore us and reconcile us so that we can be led into the way of everlasting. Man, what a great God we have. And so I would just encourage you to remember that God knows you. He sees you. He made you. But I would challenge you to be vulnerable to God and say, God, search me and know my anxious thoughts. Then you and I, not boasting in the games that I win or the games that you win, but as it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 17, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I just wanna leave you with this last quote before I pray. And we think of all of this together. It says, uh, Jay Packer says this. It says, what... What matters supremely, excuse me, supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God. We could spend a lot of time studying and knowing God, which is important, but the larger fact which underlines it is the fact that he knows me, and I am graven on the palms of his hands, and I am never out of his mind. Sanctuary, you are never out of the mind of God. Open yourselves up and be vulnerable before God and ask him to search you and to lead you to the way of everlasting. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord God, for friends, for family, for church members, Lord, who come alongside and reveal your presence. Lord God, I know that in, in my life, I have friends like Mark and Craig and Brian, who when we're together, your presence is revealed. I thank you, Lord, for a loving wife where your presence is revealed. I thank you, Lord God, for a loving church where your presence is revealed. And may we always be loving one another and revealing your grace and your love to one another. And may we be totally vulnerable to ask for you to search our hearts, every aspect of our heart, and to be led in the way of everlasting. Thank you, Jesus, in Christ's name.